Amen. If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles uh, to 1 John chapter 4. We'll be uh, in verses 7 through 21 this week. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. We're about to, to read this passage, okay? And, and what you're going to see uh, is that the repeated word and the overarching theme is love. And if you have been uh, coming, if you've been attending throughout uh, our study of 1 John, you know that this isn't the first time we've talked about love, right? Um, so far, we've looked at uh, love uh Five times, this will be, or rather, this will be the fifth time, and this will be the third time that we'll specifically talk about loving one another. Okay, 1 John is a very short book, uh, one of the, the shortest in the Bible, and you say, man, he, he's now on his fifth time talking about love. And so this is, I want this to be kind of a training moment for you, uh, for your own study of God's Word. Because oftentimes my inclination uh, is when I see a, a theme repeated, it comes back, um, I'm, I'm, I'm apt to think, okay, someone, uh, John's got a scratch and he's on repeat, you know, he, he's just kind of uh, bumping on the record player, he, he forgets. Or I tend to think, okay, he's already talked about love, I've already thought about love, I've already studied love, and so I'm just going to glaze over during this part and just kind of read through it and, you know, go through the motions and, uh, you know, uh, I, I know I'll come to the same conclusions I already have because I've already looked at this subject. And I, I don't know, Dave is uh, teaching, uh, you know, how to study the Bible, how to get the most from your Bible. Are those proper responses, Dave, to just glaze over when we see a theme repeated in the Bible? No, that, that's not a proper response. I'm going to give you three principles real quick before we read this um, about biblical repetition, Okay. That, that will, this will hopefully help you when you come to repeated themes, even by the same author in the same book, um, how you can think about them. So here are three principles that you can take to your own study. First, all Scripture is inspired and profitable. Right? That's uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it is profitable for all these things, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So, you can say this, even though it's repeated, is still profitable for me in some way. And there you go. Like, that's kind of a blanket uh, statement. Okay, so that's the first principle. Second principle is this, and this is so important. We need to remember that the Bible is not mostly about information, but transformation. I can learn facts relatively quickly. Right? And I can even have memory devices that help me remember facts. But that doesn't mean I will feel the effects of those facts in my heart. Information is not the same as transformation. What we need is information repeated to us over a period of time. And through that, God the Spirit transforms us by that information. And so in God's word, as we see something like love come up over and over again in John's uh, epistle here, we say, okay, I, I already know that. Cool, you know it, but is, is it happening in your heart? Or, or is it happening in your life? Is this transformation uh, really happening? And so that is, that's the second thing that we really need to remember. It's not about information, but transformation. So if you see a theme repeated, say, this is another opportunity for God to transform my heart in an area that I might already be informed. I already have the information, but I need the transformation. Okay, here's the third principle and, and kind of the one we'll, we'll continue um, from. We need to know that Scripture often shows different perspectives and deeper understandings even when the same theme is repeated. So di different perspectives on the same theme, deeper understanding, different applications. And so um, let me just show you uh, this with John. So far, this will be our, our fifth time talking about love. Uh, the first occurrence was in chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. And there John taught and introduced to us the fact that uh, 
if someone is obeying the command of love, it shows that they have fellowship with God. So there's this proof. So that was there in chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. Then uh, in verses 15 through 17, he teaches that while Christians must be loving, we must not love the sinful things of this world, the distracting things of this world. So we've learned we, we got to obey this command of love. It proves our fellowship with God. But then he adds, yeah, but we must not love the things of this world, the, the sinful uh, desires and the pride of life and, and, and those things. Uh, in chapter 3, he talks about love again in the first verse there. He, he talks about God's love in making us his children. See what kind of love the Father has for us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. Uh, so he's focusing on, on God's love for us in this instance, not the command for us to love or not to love the world. Picking up again in uh, verse 11 to 18 of chapter 3, we, he made sure that we understand the specific kind of love God commands, and that was this agape love. He used the example of Cain, who was, who was selfish and jealous, and so uh, instead of becoming righteous like Abel, he just got Abel out of the way um, rather than serving him. And, but agape love isn't like that, we learned. Agape love is, is unselfish. It's, it's sacrificial. It's seeking the benefit of the other. And that's the specific kind of love that God commands. So we, we saw that in, in chapter 3, uh, verses 11 through 18. And now today we come to uh, chapter 4, verses 7 through 21, and he picks it up again. And I would just submit to you that he is going to show us a different angle of this love than we've uh, specifically seen before. And it will be beneficial. This is an inspired part of God's word that is beneficial for you. It is profitable for you. And though we've talked about love before, uh, I'm going to give you information, but the goal is transformation. That's what I want to see in your lives, and I know you want. So what we need to do as we read through this uh, passage together is say, okay, what, what different uh, information. What new information does John give here? What, what different points is he trying to make and how is that supposed to transform my life? That is how we are to read the Bible, especially when it comes uh, to these uh, themes when they are repeated. So let's, let's get into it. A another amazing, this may be my favorite one so far on the love theme. I I'm, so I'm, I'm very excited about this passage. Uh, so 1 John chapter 4, Verses 7 through 21. <clears throat> I'll, I'll read aloud and you can follow along. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears, ha has, whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. 
That is God's word. Let's pray and ask God to, to bless this time and teach us from this, this passage. Father God, we are thankful that we get to look again at this theme of love. And we know that it, it is so important for us, God, that we, we rightly understand these things and that we are transformed by them. So God, I pray that you would enlarge our minds to comprehend these realities, but also enlarge our hearts to feel these realities and be changed by them in our everyday lives. And God, I pray uh, that even as we go through this, we will see that you are worth it, that, that you are worth every sacrifice, you are worth every painful act of love we give your glory being made known is worth it. God, I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So there we have it, this repetition of love. And I have um, kind of distilled that to uh, my title there, God's Love Matters. I think he's, you know, on his fifth time speaking about love, but I do think he's coming at it from a different angle than he's uh, really dug into before. And I think the main focus that we're going to see today is that God's love matters. So we've had the command to love, the command not to love the world. We've had what kind of love it is, this agape love. And now we're seeing that God's love is, is what really matters. This is, this is going to be, uh, I think, incredibly important for us as we, we think about this, this theme, this subject of love and, and what that should look like in our lives and how it can even be possible in our lives. So the first point that I think um, we can draw out from what John ha has written here is this. God is love and implants love. God is love and implants love. I was going to do God uh, is love and gives love, but that's not what I'm talking about, that he just shows love, gives love. What I'm saying here, and what, what John is going to teach us, is that God is in himself love, and God plants inside of us his love, his divine love. See if you don't see that there in 1 John 4, verses um, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. That, by the way, um, isn't so much a command as, as, as a desire. Let us, let it be. This is um, the, the form of the verb there is, this is my desire. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is is love. So what's new here? What can we draw out? Well, the first thing we see there is that God is love. This is the first time in the Bible that statement has been made, by the way. God is love. You say, oh, yeah, of course, God is, God is loving. God does many loving acts. What do you mean this is the first time? I mean this is the first time it's said that God is love. It's not that God uh, just is loving or, or does loving acts. This is, is not a statement about God's behavior, but about his nature. God is love. This, is, this isn't a statement of, of how God acts, but who God is. Okay, so this is very important. This, by the way, happens very rarely in Scripture that there's a statement that God is is something, at his essence, at his nature. Uh, this is the fourth example that I know of. Uh, the Bible says that God is spirit, God is light, and God is a consuming fire in other places. And here we have that God is love at his core, in his essence, at his, uh, the, the, the core of his being. God is love. I wish that I were eloquent enough <laughs> to make this mean something to you uh, like it really should. 
But, but I, I will do my best in just, uh, for just a few moments to, to, to help this have an impact on you, the fact that God is love. What this means, by the way, is that we don't get to uh, define love by ourselves, say, okay, love looks like this and love does this, and then put that on God and say, well, that's what God should be like because this, he has to match my definition of love. We also don't get to judge God by our definition of love. Well, that's not very loving of God. No, God is love. God literally is the definition of love. Therefore, God defines love, not us. God judges our definition of love. We don't judge him by our definition of love. I think that that's an important thing to understand, that God is love. God is pure, undefiled love in his essence. I think that's one important truth we can get from the fact that God is love. I think another important truth is the fact that God always is and always has been love. We, we, we step into waters of which our, our finite minds can barely go, but for all eternity past, that means before God spoke the world into creation, before time began, for all eternity past. I mean, I, I can say things like billions and billions and trillions of years, but that doesn't even mean anything in eternity past because there is no, no end of it and no beginning of it. For all of that time, God is love. And that love was expressed within the fellowship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit perfectly, beautifully, harmoniously loving one another because God is love within the triune Godhead. Say, man, these are some boring points. Where is this going? Well, God did create. The God who is love did create. And that means that this action of creation was done in love. Because every action from a God who is love it comes from love. It is love. So God lovingly created us. God created us. And you think about the way God treated Adam and Eve in the garden. He's put them in paradise. Like that's kind of the meaning, meaning of the Garden of Eden, this paradise where they get to be with him and enjoy him who is love. God is love and God does love. By the way, every act of God is shaped by love. That means his compassion, his mercy is done in love. He, he is love. But it also means his justice and his wrath is also an act of love. That may be hard for us to wrap our minds around and I would say not everyone is equally a recipient or gets to experience that love. But every act of God is done in love because God is love. This is, this is one of the highest peaks of God's glory, that he is love. So that's our foundation. That is at the, the very center, if you will, of, of our theology of love, of our understanding of love and what it should be like in our lives. God is love. Before anything else was, God was, and God was love. And so we come now back to our verse, because I've said here, God is love and God implants love. So let's follow the logic here of John in verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. The, the idea here is you have God who is love, pure, undefiled love, and he has caused us to be born again. Peter says, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope. God has caused us to be born. The, the idea of that is we were spiritually dead. We were spiritually dead. Yes, we were born physically, 
But when God implants the seed of divine life in our hearts, we are born again. And this is this divine life living inside of us. And so John's logic here is, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Why? End of verse 8, because God is love. If you are a Christian today, if you've truly been born again, then the God who is love has made you born again. His divine seed, and you could even call it his Holy Spirit, lives in you. He has changed your heart. He has given you a new heart and a new mind. And that new heart and mind is influenced, it is shaped by the divine. And the divine is love because God is love. So it is utterly incompatible, as he shows there in verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. It is utterly incompatible to say, I'm a Christian, I'm born again, but to not have love because God is love. You, you can't be born of this loving seed and not have love for one another. This is John's logic here. The very foundation, the base. This is humbling, by the way. You cannot show true agape love without this divine life in you. For love is from God. Uh, love only comes from God. We can only have the power for love in our hearts from God. But it has been put there. Uh, by the way, Romans 5, 5, Paul says it this way. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's the same idea as you've been born again by the Holy Spirit. And with that comes this love. And it is, in fact, God's love in you. So God is love and God implants love. This is the very foundation. You cannot dig any deeper into love. That God is within himself the source and God has put it in us who have been born again and have believed on his son. So that is the first reason why Christians love. It's even the, the only way we can love is by God being love and implanting that love in us. And so it's, it's easy for us now <clears throat> to think, okay, so now that I've got the Holy Spirit in me, I'm just supposed to be a robot, right? He's put love in me, so love is just going to come out of me, whether or not I like it. That's, that's not the way it works. That's not the fullness of God's plan. This beautiful thing he is doing in the plan of redemption is that not only is God love who implants love, but this, number two, God expresses love that energizes love. So what we're going to see is God does this wonderful expression of love towards us. And it's not that it's just an example for us to follow, but it is this, this expression of love that energizes, that, that makes our love bubble up to overflowing and pour out on other people around us. Again, we are rational beings. We are emotional beings. We think, we do, we feel. We're not just computers. God implants love in us, yes, so it's, it's even there. But then God also energizes that love by the expression of his love infinite love for us. Look at it in verses uh, 9 through 11. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son, or only begotten son, if you have like a KJV, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Several things we can point out uh, in this text. By the way, I would say God has shown his love in many, many, many ways. But this is the height. This is, this is the pinnacle, the peak of God's love. 
is in what's explained here. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. The, the idea there with that word only, again, uh, in, in the, the, the KJV would be the only begotten. Um, and, and while that word may not um, convey fully what's needed, um, it does mean something. The idea carried there is that this only begotten, this is God's one and only son. That's the way some versions will translate it, his one and only This is his special son. This is his treasured son. This should, by the way, uh, remind us of Abraham. When God says, your son, your only son whom you love, bring him and put put him on the altar as a sacrifice. And we we read that and say, how could a person even think of doing that? Like that would be the hardest thing ever. How, How could he? You know, his one and only son, he's been waiting so long. He loves this son. He prizes this son. He treasures this son. That's what's supposed to come into our minds here when we see this, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. But then it goes on. It says, uh, verse 10, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So God sent his only son into the world. What did he send him to be? The propitiation for our sins. And what's a propitiation? It's a very clean word for a wrath bearer, an anger appeaser. There is a debt to be paid, and this is the one who makes that debt go away by paying it. This is the, the same idea as the lambs that were, were slain uh, for you know, thousands of years um, on those altars, that they were to be a, a wrath bearer in the place, a substitution for their own, uh, the wrath they deserved, the death they deserved, the blood they deserved to spill. And this, this, this Jesus is obviously who we're talking about. Jesus, this only son, this one and only son of God was, was sent into this world to be our wrath bearer. That God's just anger toward our sin might be appeased. That we might live through him, it says there at the end of verse 9, that we might live through him. His death becomes our life. But there's one more aspect here that, that, that we see this love of God expressed. Verse 10, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. God did not send his son on a rescue mission for innocent victims. I mean, that would be love, right? To, to say, okay, I'll send my son to, to help you because you guys are in this need and you know you, this bad thing has happened to you. That would be be loving. That would be incredibly loving. But that is not the extent of the love God showed. It says there, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Remember, Jesus was was sent to die for sinners. It's, It's not like we one time sinned against God and then we said, oh, I messed up. I so badly want you, God. I just love you so much. Please help me. No, no. We were rebels who liked being rebels. We, we, we kick God out of our kingdom, and even though our kingdom was doomed to destruction, we say, we like our kingdom without you, God. Thank you very much. That is the type of people this love was shown to. I've, I've done um, all sorts of ministry that I've, had to, that I've run into this. When I use the word ministry, I mean just life where I'm trying so hard to love someone that doesn't even seem to want it. They're quite happy with the situation they've got themselves into. Yes, it's killing them. Yes, it's destroying them. Yes, it's ruining all their relationships, but whatever, I don't care. That's us. That's a picture of us. For me, when I'm in those situations, it is incredibly hard to keep showing them love. Incredibly hard. But all of us were that to the farthest 
possible extreme. Rebels against God. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the wrath bearer for our sins. And this is astonishing love. It really is just over the top. There, there is no greater example of love that, that we could possibly have. Uh, Paul put it this way in Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. He says, While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, this, this should just make us melt. This should, 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 should melt our, our hard hearts, our unloving hearts, our, our selfishness, our resentment, our unforgiveness, our bitterness should just melt in the presence of this expression of love. And the fact is, the Bible teaches us that it does melt if you have the divine life in you. If God has made you born again, if he has implanted his love in you, then when you see this expression of love, when you think about this expression of love in Christ Jesus, it energizes your love. And the thought there is there's this love in there. Again, you think about this is the more computer style, like God puts it in us. He puts this chip for love in us. I'm speaking very crassly about the Holy Spirit he's put in us, but th that's uh, the image. He's put this, this chip in us, but it is electrified. It is energized by this expression of love because we are living, breathing, feeling people. We are humans, and God energizes that love he has put within us by this expression of his love in Christ Jesus. It was his one and only son sent to be a wrath bearer for our sins. And we were not innocent victims here or even seeking to be freed. But God still loved us. This, this uh, really matters for me. I told you guys I've been using this uh, Bible study guide uh, lately, the, the one that um, Dave and I created. And I was going through... Uh, Ephesians this week, and I, I usually just go one or two verses at a time, depending on how it's broken up, and I, I try to focus on that. I say, what's the specific thing God wants me to, to learn there? And I, I want to actually think on it and meditate on it. And so I was doing that, and I came to uh, Ephesians 1, 19 and 20 was one of my days. Uh, Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. And there, Paul is praying for the Ephesian church, and by extension, all of us. He's praying that they would have the eyes of their hearts enlightened, that they would have this knowledge. Uh, and here's the specific thing uh, that he wants us to know in verses 19 and 20. He wants us to know what is the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So what's that got to do with anything? Th this, is, this is the logic of Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. Paul wants us to know the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards us. Remember that implanted uh, uh, divine life in us? Remember that, that energizing that I said God does through expressing his love? Paul wants us to know the immeasurable <clears throat> greatness of God's power, the working of his great might. It's like Paul is just stumbling for words to talk. This is great might. Well, what, what kind of might? The same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead and raised him up to the right hand of God. This, this is, I mean, for me, like staggering. You think about Jesus, he's, you know, he's been beaten, whipped, mocked, nailed to a cross. He's had a spear stuck in his side. He's been laying in a tomb for two days. Then on that third day, <gasps> life. 
life comes into him, this glorious God-given life. God raises Christ Jesus from the dead. Then Jesus stays on this earth for 40 days. On the 40th day, he ascends to the right hand of the Father, where he now sits on the right hand of the Father uh, at the, the throne there. I mean, that is power right there. That is power. And guess what? That is the exact same power that is working in you. And so I, I was thinking about that verse, and I think about some of the sins I struggle with, and I think about my own lack of love, and this is what it made me conclude. I, anytime I think, I can't do it, I can't show this love, I, it's just not in me, I can remember, look, the power that raised Jesus from the grave and to the right hand of God is now working in you. It is God's power working toward you, in you, you have the power to do this. You don't, don't say you can't do it. I can't love anymore. I've, I've tried all these times. I just can't be patient anymore. I can't forgive again. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave is powerful in you. Jeremy Camp, by the way, has written a song. I've had this song going in my head ever since then. He says, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, the same power that caused the dead to wake lives in us. You can love. You can show unselfish, sacrificial, others-benefiting love. You can forgive. You can bear one another's burdens. You can encourage one another. You can do that. And then we have, again, like we've just mentioned, this incredible expression of love. This, this power working in me through God's divine seed in this expression of love. It is a powerful thing. God is literally making sure that all Christians love one another. Not perfectly. I'm not saying that, that I perfectly love others. Surely not. But God is making sure that we all who have been born again love one another. He went to great lengths to make sure this happened. He put his divine life in us, then he expresses his love that should energize us. If you are a Christian, you will love others. And so we wonder, why is God so adamant that we love one another? Why, why does he make sure? He doesn't just command it. He doesn't just encourage it. He implants it in us and energizes the love so that it will happen. Why is God so adamant about this. This gives us our, our third point. God multiplies love through our love. You could put there, God multiplies his love through our love. That may be a better way of wording this. God's love is multiplied through our love. And I, I want to show you this, how this is God's wonderful plan. The God who is love multiplies the knowledge and, and, and experience of his love all over the world through our love. We're going to skip over verse 12 for a moment. We'll go straight to verses 13 through 19. He said there, by this, so this is pointing back to our love for one, or one another, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. I'm going to pause there for a second. So up to this point, John is reiterating the fact that when we have love, true agape, love for one another, it proves that the Holy Spirit lives in us. It proves that we have truly trusted in Christ Jesus from our hearts, not just said, yeah, I believe those facts. It says, no, I'm clinging to him, and I know for sure that I'm saved because I see this love in my life. By this, we know we abide in him, he said. Okay, verse 17. By this, knowing we're truly saved, is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment 
Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Okay. This all hinges on a proper understanding of that word perfected. He said, verse 17, by this, by, by knowing we're truly saved because of our love, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. What, what does that mean, perfected? I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. Uh, there in, in the Greek, it doesn't mean that we will be flawless or unblemished in our love, that we will be endless or limitless in our, in our love. It, that's not the type of perfected this is talking about. In the Greek, and I could give you several examples, excuse me, <clears throat> I could give you several, exam- several examples of this, but this word perfected uh, carries the idea of accomplishing or completing a mission. It's perfected, it's completed, it's accomplished. Let me grab a drink real quick. <clears throat> excuse me. So this is what John is saying is, happened, is happening here. So with that new understanding, that that perfected uh, means completed or accomplished, by this, by knowing we're truly saved because of our love, by this is love perfected or completed or accomplishing its mission with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And then here's this conclusion. We love because he first loved us. So what, what he's kind of given the idea here of is the, the, the mission that love is accomplishing in our lives when we see our own love and know that we're truly saved is that we actually love even more. Because when we see that we're truly saved by our love, we know that God's love has been applied to us. It's not just this general ethereal God is love and God has shown love. No, it means that God has loved you. God has put his love upon you. God has put his love inside of you. Jesus poured out his blood for you. We know that is true when we have this love. And so love accomplishes its accomplishes its mission when we recognize once again God's love for us that I am truly saved that I am a recipient of this grace and then it says we love because he first loved us implication we we love even more because we recognize God's love for us when we see our own love I know this is a complicated uh, way that I'm saying this but this is what's happening. Love give conf- gives confidence. Our love give conf- gives confidence of God's love, and that creates even more love in our lives. So God's love is multiplied. There is more expression of God's love. But there's, there's another way that God's love is multiplied. Verse 12 says this, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another... God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Do you remember what that word perfected means? God's love accomplishes its mission in us. It fulfills its purpose in us. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love accomplishes its mission in us. You say, well, what mission exactly is it accomplishing there? Earlier, we saw that it was causing us to have even more love. It, it was, it, we were knowing for sure that God's love was applied to us, which made us bubble up with even more love. What, what purpose is he talking about here in verse 12? Well, look, look at the issue that he brought up right there at the beginning of the verse. No one has ever seen God. This is just, just a plain fact. No human at least this side of heaven, has ever seen the fullness of God's glory. Uh, God said to Moses, no one 
can see me and live. Now Moses, quote unquote, saw God face to face, but that clearly cannot mean the fullness of his glory. Enough glory to make his face glow, so that's pretty cool. And God passed by him in the cleft of the rock, we remember, and he could see the back of God's glory pass by, but no one can see God fully in the fullness of his glory and live. I would even say that, that Jesus uh, was God, and we've seen him, right? Or, uh, th- th- these people did. Humans saw Jesus, but the fullness of his glory was veiled in humanity. The fullness of the glory was veiled in humanity, but Jesus still, what would you say, Jesus still revealed God's glory. And he did that by his life, by his actions, by his words, by the love that he showed. He revealed the glory of God. It says that in uh, John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the Father. Jesus revealed glory. It was veiled uh, in humanity, but people could see it in Jesus, and so people could see God. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father, he said. And so we take this same logic to us, okay? God implants his love in us. God energizes his love in us. And as It says there, if we love one another, God's love is perfected in us. It completes its mission. Well, what's what's the mission? What's it trying to, to solve? No one has ever seen God. He's implying no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected. It accomplishes its mission in us. And so here's what we need to understand. My, My sermon title was God's love matters. It is not only the beginning of love, it is the end and the purpose of love. God's love is what gives love, makes love happen. It is the source of love, and it is also the purpose of love. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God's love fulfills its mission in us. What is that mission? To reveal the love of God to reveal the glory of God, to reveal that the, the, the unthinkable love of that God has shown in Christ Jesus flowing through us. It is literally his love. It says there, by the way, at the end of that, and his love is perfected in us. This is God's love, his divine love. It accomplishes its mission as we show love to others. They get to see God. And insofar as we make it known that we are loving from the love that God has put in us, they get to experience the love of God and know this is, this is God's love. I think about um, a, a couple passages I'll just give you very quickly. I'll just give you one passage. John 17, 22 to 23. Jesus says, he prays to the Father, The glory that you have given me, I have given them. That, may, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. So Jesus says there, the glory that you have given to me, I have given to them. And we could kind of put in here right now, the love that you have given to me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one, that they may have this unity, this love for one another. He says, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me, that you sent me, Jesus, into this world as the Savior, and that you loved them even as you loved me. This is what God reveals through our love, that Jesus is truly the Savior, Messiah, King of the universe, that he is God come in the flesh who bore our sins and that God so loved the world that they may see that you loved them even as you loved me, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The reason God makes sure that we love, implants it, empowers it, is so that we can show the glory of his love. 
that, that through our lives, through our love, people would say, wow, God is great. If that's even just a small picture of God's love, God is great. And, and the power that it took to make Jeff into a loving person, wow, God is great. What a loving God. And so God's love matters. He is the beginning of love. He is love itself. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's the one who makes people loving, and he makes people loving so that his love might be shown and enjoyed and experienced throughout the world. <clears throat> this was a different angle of love, but it was a beautiful angle. Let's pray. Father God, I pray now that you would take this information and work transformation in our lives. God, help us even now to see how unworthy we were and are of your love. Utterly unworthy of it, utterly unlovable, yet you loved us in the most unbelievable way. God, thank you for sending your son to die for sinners like me and my friends here. And God, I thank you that you used the same power that, that raised Jesus from the dead to resurrect my heart and to put love in my heart. And God, thank you that we can continually look to the cross, look at what Jesus accomplished for our sake to have our love energized. Because I know there is no act of love I could possibly do that is more sacrificial, more costly, more of a, a burden than what you have done for me. God, let, let that bubble up in my heart and overflow in love towards others. And God, may it be known that any love that comes from my life or any of our lives is from you. Love is from God. God, may our lives point to your glory, not ours. Let us never become proud of the ways we love one another, but just astonished at your grace as, as that love is just a manifestation of your love in us. God, thank you that you accomplish what you command. You tell us to love one another. Then you make us born again with this love. And you show us this unbelievable expression of love, God. Thank you for accomplishing that in us so that we can walk in obedience to you, that we can experience you, and that we can bring you glory, all the while showing love to other people. What a beautiful and wise plan, God. God, I pray all this in the name of your Son. Amen. Let's stand. And